I want to invite you to check out my website, www.thealcoholfreecoaching.site. I have a few spots open in my practice to help you with your alcohol-free journey and any life transition you may be experiencing. Welcome to Living My Breastless Life podcast. I'm your host, HPG. On season three of the podcast, we're diving in to the helping profession. I have found that almost always there's a catalytic event that leads people to help others. You'll hear a variety of folks share what they do, why they do it, and the unique ways that they help. This season will mostly be guest interviews with some fascinating people and a few surprises for y'all along the way. So let's go. Go. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to chat with Blake Helton. Blake is a fellow social worker. He's an LSW, has worked in corrections and works in an inpatient psychiatric care unit at a state hospital, focusing on the forensic population. Blake also has a private practice working with individuals who are struggling with mental health. Blake has a special interest in substance abuse as he is a recovering alcoholic. He has been sober for three years. I really enjoyed my chat with Blake, and I think you will too. So Blake, tell us what you do. So currently I work at the State Psychiatric Hospital in Colorado. Um, I, there's two hospitals in Colorado. I work at the one in Denver. And I'm on the forensic unit, um, so I'm working with individuals who are currently awaiting trial or some sort of court proceeding that someone has brought up that they might have a mental illness or something else going on that could prevent them from participating in their own trial. So I do competency restoration. I love that. I had such an interest in forensics when I was younger, before I became a social worker. And I've said this on the podcast before, like Jodie Foster and Silence of the Lambs was like little Heather's hero. (laughs) And I know it's probably not like that in real life, but I say that to say like, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. So I do that during the day. And then I also have a private practice and I see clients at night. Um, And I currently see a lot of people for anxiety and depression, but I also see quite a few people for substance abuse as well. Just kind of where I would like to take private practice because I'm also in recovery myself. So I'm so curious how you got to the substance use population, so to speak, as you were area of focus and and again along with anxiety and depression and as we know they can go hand in hand so what led you to want to work with folks in recovery and I heard you I think I heard you say that you were in recovery also yeah so I October 26th of 2020 was the last time I had a drink um and that was in the middle of my master's program um 
and I was working at the jail in Kentucky at the time, but I was working still kind of in that forensics population, but also encountering a lot of people that have something that's going on, preventing them from living a successful and fulfilling life. Um, so when I got sober and moved to Colorado with my family, I decided that I could also potentially be another voice in that area, not only as a therapeutic voice, but also someone who has gone through the process. So when you're doing therapy with your folks in your private practice, do you see a theme that lands with you? Do you see like a pattern? A little bit. Normally, like I've had a couple people present, you know, saying, I have anxiety, I'm a little bit depressed. And then we start talking about those coping skills. And as rudimentary as it sounds, coping skills make or break, right? And so when I'm talking with individuals, they're like, you know, on weeknights that I'm not feeling the greatest, I just have, you know, two or three drinks. And then it turned into four or five drinks. And then it just kept compounding. So getting at the root of some of those issues can also help alleviate the substance use issues as well. Yeah, I don't, I'm going to hit 1,000 days tomorrow of being alcohol-free. That's right. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And it is important to get to the root cause and have those coping skills in your toolbox because from my experience, if you use wine or any type of alcohol to cope with a bad day, a stressful day at work, grief, loss, you know, basically tie it into how you cope as an individual, we forget the basic coping skills. What coping skills worked for you? Like, like we'll just, we'll just use you as an example. Like what is your go-to coping skill in your toolbox? Right now would probably be, um, playing board games with my wife. <laughs> yeah. As silly as that sounds, like, um, I think one of the biggest contributing factors to my addiction to alcohol and stuff came from I was constantly drinking by myself because we were working opposite schedules. I was working at night. And as we know, it's very hard to have a social life when you work third shift. Um, and so now it's, having individuals, friends, family in my life that I can just call up, have a conversation with, or get together with people during the week. Anytime I'm starting to have like a craving of sorts, anything like that. Yeah. I think getting back to the basics is so important. Like the board games. I've recently been on like a diamond dot painting, you know, like where you take the little okay. gems and you, Put yeah. the colors on the numbers, but it it's helpful because it activates that right side of the brain, you know, the creative part. So we, right. we don't want to hang out in our left side, right? Because that's where all the anxiety and whatnot is. So just doing the diamond dot paintings or the board games is simple and basic and like baby cringe or whatever the young folks say. <laughs> like it is really fun and it's it's so cool because the world is your oyster and you get to figure out what you like um yeah when i work with clients it's almost like like we'll talk about like sober you 
versus, you know, drinking you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you can do whatever you want as, as long as you stay away from those substances, whatever it takes, right? Also, investing in new hobbies has been big. So I collect comic books now instead of buying alcohol. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, this podcast was born out of a hobby when I quit drinking. Um, I'm a cancer survivor, so I was battling cancer. And after I finished and won the battle, so to speak, I was like, I want to start a podcast. And I've researched it and I've been doing it for over a year. So I totally get, you know, the new hobby thing. And it's just, you know, I think the mindset, me personally, like if you go into it from a mindset of deprivation or like punishment, that can be really tricky because you're kind of setting yourself up to fail. But if you try to say like, okay, I knuckled my way through this day and this is an opportunity to have a better life. Do you, do you feel that way, Blake? Yeah. I, you know, at the start of anyone going through someone giving something up, right? Whether it's alcohol or it's, you know, Diet Coke. Yeah. There's going to be that need of like, like this stinks now. What am I supposed to do during that time where I used to engage in whatever the behavior was? But it's how we fill the void, but also how do we do it in a way that's healthy? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say that about like Diet Coke, because for the first year of my alcohol-free journey, that's all I had space for well it's also battling cancer so there's that but that's a that's not why we're here but like i was like eat the sweets you know do whatever you need to do and then you know year two maybe and this is just for me focus on cutting down on the sugar or changing your diet like truly one thing at a time my my go to drink was lemonade and Red Bull. So yeah, yeah, it's just interesting what we having a replacement. Did your taste buds change when you quit drinking? I think so, a little bit. There's some foods now where you know I don't find them as appealing, mm-hmm. and some foods I'm like, okay, this is pretty good. Yeah, my I think like I've done so much research as I know you have through your school and in your practice and in your personal experience but you know like alcohol numbs everything including our taste buds and I think that is so weird but also like eye-opening yeah especially when people start getting to the point like where I was I was drinking liquor as someone would with beer so like drinking large quantities of it but I didn't really taste it at that point so you know some one excuse that I've heard from myself and others is I just drink it for the taste. But so that's interesting. Right. Like you no longer tasted the actual beverage. It was more to feel the addiction, so to speak. Yeah. I'm really proud of you. So you've been sober for three years. That's a huge accomplishment. Big, big life changes in 2020. Yeah. 2020 was just, my daughter was born in 2020, which was, amazing right but that year as a whole was just yeah wow there'll be long-term effects from that um psychologically but so like you've been sober for three years and you work with folks who are like in active substance use or you know maybe on day one day 10 
or maybe day 30, like when you're working with folks, what are some things that you like suggest, like sober 101? Support systems, I think, are number one. A lot of people have that component of shame or, you know, they're nervous about telling their partner they're struggling with something. But that is the first step, in my opinion, is to let someone know besides the the telehealth therapist that they're seeing on the screen, right? Um, I think it goes a long way to also have that support system because they're going to be the ones that you can call if you're struggling. I think that, this is just personally what I think, it's so important to have someone that understands what you mean when you say, this craving came out of nowhere, I wasn't expecting it, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and everyone's individual, obviously, but you have some point of reference to understand what that really means, because we've been there. And I've had a lot of that in private practice as well. I try not to bring up my own like journey with it as much because we're there for the client. But I can also, you know, usually at the beginning, you know, general assessments, if I'm talking with someone, I can bring up, you know, like I have done a step study. I have gone through motions of giving something up. And so I have a mild understanding of what they might be going through. Yeah, it is all about the individual and you you know, and I know that we have to be mindful of countertransference and all that stuff we learned in school. And it is true, but I think just having like the knowledge when we're working with folks is really beneficial and that we have been there, which is why I'm really open that I've, you know, been sober for a thousand days or, or what have you. I think it's just, it's relatable. One of the other things that people, so I'm con- I contract through a company that finds clients for me. Um, one of the biggest things people will see is that I also have tattoos, and which I, I guess saw that. for some people is super relatable. Um, so that's another thing where, like you know, I was looking down the list and I saw something that stood out, so I took a chance, and here we are. I know the listeners can't see, but I have a giant Wednesday Adams tattoo on my left forearm. And a whole, just a whole bunch. I think I have 10. I don't know how many I have. But I do think that, that is, that's a really cool point that you brought up. And I got like four tattoos after I got sober. Like I went on a tattoo spree. And I have seen that theme across other people who have quit drinking or quit using other substances. So I think, I think that's a really cool point that you just shared. Like you're looking at me face to face. You probably wouldn't think like, Oh, this lady has a giant Wednesday Adams tattoo on her left arm. So it does offer a different perspective of like our image our creativity and a little bit about who we are. Cause most people's tattoos have a story. They don't have to, of course, but most people do. I find them. I find them really fascinating. What is the, what is your favorite tattoo that you have? Um, so I have a coffee plant on my forearm here uh-huh. and then the chemical symbol for caffeine. So one <laughs> of the other hobbies that I really got into when I got sober was coffee. Like I've always drank coffee, you know, but I think we have pretty much every way you can make coffee now in our home. We've got the 
bean grinder. We've got all of it. And so that was another thing that I was like super invested in. So instead of having a liquor cabinet, we had a coffee cabinet. I love that. I absolutely love that. I think my favorite tattoo is the one I have for my daughter, which is a dandelion. And some, you know, some people know the phrase, like you see a dandelion might be a weed, might be a wish. And my daughter was my biggest wish. And then good old Wednesday. So, (laughs) which is really interesting. Like, like I said, like you wouldn't think like, oh, that lady has a, you know, Christina Ricci um, as Wednesday Adams on her left forearm, but I do. So I think that's, that's really cool. So like, it sounds like you got sober and then you, you know, graduated and did all the things that we go through to become social workers. And I am not a therapist, but you are. Do you have a goal of like just only doing private practice? I don't think I want to rely solely on private practice for my income. I do like seeing people. I think it's interesting to get to know others on a a different level than I do at the state hospital. Mm -hmm. But I also really enjoy my work at the hospital as well. So, and the hospital comes with benefits. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. I'm still figuring out the whole small business thing. Yeah, owning your own business is a whole different world. And I'm also still a social worker and I I just do it part-time. But I've done this for since 2001, so 23 years or longer now. I don't know, a long time. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, you know, for me, like the perspective kind of shifted. I feel like because I've worked in hospitals, you know, acute care settings and hospice and with the criminal justice system, and I've done a lot. So I'm, I'm excited to, to get to the point in my life where I'm like, okay, I'm going to own my own business and do my own thing. And I consider that a gift of sobriety, honestly. So Blake, tell, tell us where we can find you. So I don't have like business social medias, but hiresites.com. It's based out of Denver. That is where you'll find my therapy profile, ways to connect if you want therapy. Um, and then there's a mutiny of other providers as well. Um, and so that would be probably the one big one that I could recommend. And then, of course, my email. If you have individual questions, I'm always happy to to be in touch. Awesome. I'll make sure I link that in the show notes below. And um, it was such a pleasure to talk to another sober person who loves tattoos and caffeine, who's also a social worker. <laughs> So thank you so much for being on the show today, Blake. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living My Breastless Life. Head over to Instagram and follow According to HPG to stay connected to the show. Go get your mammograms.